Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, Nicola Eggers, Head of Investments, talks to Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, about why, with the bad news seemingly rolling in day after day, stock markets continue to rise. They also take a closer look at the prospects for the UK economy and the potential for European shares to catch up on a decade of underperformance. Welcome to another Word on the Street. This time it's just Will and me trying to make sense of, well, another eventful but increasingly upsetting week. We've seen the global death toll from this latest coronavirus continue to rise, um, particularly as the virus starts to make its way to some of the countries with perhaps less well-equipped health systems. We've also seen massive social unrest of the like not seen for some time in the US following the latest shocking example of of systemic racism. Tensions are rising between the two great world superpowers as well. I mean, I could go on. Well, given this news flow, isn't it somewhat incongruous that stock markets seem to be continuing to rise? Are, Are investors completely disconnected from reality? Yes, Nikki. I mean, you reeled off some of the some of the things this week, and, and like you said, you could go on. And, and it does sometimes it does feel a little bit like um, you know markets are a bit, bit disconnected from from reality. But I think there are a couple of things that investors have been seizing on in amongst all of this. Um, the first thing is that there has been so far no strong observable link between those countries in Europe and states in the U.S. that relaxed containment measures early um, or earlier. Uh, and there's no relationship that so far and between that and an associated spike in the infection rate. Now, there could be any number of reasons for this, but at least some of those reasons would be very positive for the outlook um, if that happy state of affairs were to continue. The second thing, and I think this is another thing that's really just happening quite recently, is that in amongst all of the stuff going on, you are seeing the high frequency data points that we talk about a bit, you know, that many are using to kind of try and shine a light, just a bit of light, uh, on real real time economic activity, uh, you know, from geolocation statistics and other mobility statistics to you know electricity consumption, but you're seeing those types of statistics point to a brisker pickup in economic activity um, than many had anticipated. Now, meanwhile, the news out of Europe with regards to this uh, kind of rescue package we've been talking about and the rising potential for uh, you know mutually backed euro debt has also buoyed investor spirits quite a bit. So, so the rise is. You know, the rise in stocks and shares and other risky assets, it's not totally without a foundation in our estimation. But obviously, that shouldn't detract from the fact that there are many things um, for society, for all of us to, to, to worry about at the moment. And will you and your team are, are sort of consistently encouraging us to be a bit wary about where we source our updates, insights, news from? Is there any value in following, you know, dare I say, it, mainstream media for the discerning investor? Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, um, it, it's surely, you know, Rob Smith and co are regularly, you know, the, the behavioural guys are regularly telling us about this, but it's surely healthy for all of us, um, you know, to step outside of our carefully curated echo chambers and listen and mm. uh, read stuff that we disagree with. You know, there, there are loads of other things that Rob and co would, would no doubt, um, you know, tell us. But, you know, there is an increasingly rich vein of research looking at what 
newspaper text, the actual text, uh, can tell us about you know our condition. Um, so we've spoken before about one paper that evidenced our increasing appetite for doom and gloom by looking at the frequency uh, of particular words uh, in parts of the US media over the course of the post-war period. And a trend that this trend, this is a trend that seems to have accelerated with the advent of social media and the kind of resulting surge in competition, you know, for our eyeballs. Well, anyway, one paper from the bank from a Bank of England staffers this week looked at whether the recurrence of certain words within, uh, I think it was the Daily Mail, uh, the Daily Express and the Guardian over time would be able to tell us much about the six to 12 month outlook from that point for the UK economy. Now, interestingly, the paper found um, actually some evidence of predictive power in just looking for specific types of words, the recurrence of specific types of words, uh, and actually found that this analysis was of particular use during stressed times. Now, you know, this could be because the papers, uh, the newspapers, you know, the newspapers is where kind of fast moving developments in the economy appear first, or probably my favourite solution, perhaps it's uh, the feedback loop between newspaper reports and real economic activity uh, become more important during stressed times. Uh, Essentially, the stories, uh, you know, these stories on the economy are more likely to influence our behaviour when they are dramatic. And there's a lot of support for this from various other academics. So Robert Schiller is another one who's written about, you know, the power of narratives and all these kind of things. So the answer, the the short answer is, is yes, but with a lot of caveats as usual. And I'm assuming some of those recurring words right now, if if being used to describe the state of the UK economy would be uh, fairly downbeat, am I right? Yes, I think you probably are, Nikki. You know, like, like many other places around the world right now, there have been you know, breathtakingly sharp declines uh, in activity in some parts of the, the UK economy. So I was looking, I was reading uh, a speech uh, by one of the MPC members, the Monetary Policy, you know, the decision-making board for the Bank of England. And he was pointing out that the ONS, the Office of National Statistics Business Impact of COVID survey, uh, suggests that 20% of firms in the UK have temporarily closed or paused trading, and a similar share have seen turnover uh, fall by at least 50%. Now, there's some variation across sectors, but weakness is, you know, widespread. And from a household perspective, just to give you a sense of, you know, some of the difficulties going on there, 40% of people report that their income, and that includes benefits, government support, has fallen since the COVID-19 outbreak. So yes, um, pretty downbeat, the words that would describe the UK at the moment. But again, you are starting to see economic activity bounce back, as evidenced by these kind of high frequency indicators here. So hopefully some of that, you know, economic hardship will be, you know, alleviated before um, before too long. And you mentioned there the Bank of England. What what can we expect in terms of interest rates? Uh, there's there's obviously quite a lot of debate out there around the potential for moving into negative territory. What what do you think? Yes, I mean uh, the there's clearly an active debate uh, about negative interest rates among many of the world's you know major central banks. Uh, our sense remains that um, negative interest rates, i.e., taxing people on their savings, basically, uh, are not high on the list of policy options right now. They're there, but they're not high. Um, but this, you know, there is, and I think this has been pointed out by many central bankers around the world. There is an observed asymmetry here. Central bankers are worrying more about policy being too tight. Uh, than they are worrying about it being too loose. In that context, they will likely err on the side of generosity, so to speak, for some time to come. Now, if you look at what the market is saying about this, the forward path of interest rates implied by um, the GILTS curve, you know, the UK government bond, you know, maturity 
curve. They are, it does not currently see base rates in the UK reaching 1.25% at any point in the next few decades. Now, that may be a bit extreme, but you can see that markets are already expecting a sustained period of very low interest rates in the UK and elsewhere. And actually, that is part of the reason why within our multi-asset class funds and portfolios, we're not doing much lending to governments at the moment because uh, the returns are so puny. And back to Europe, I mean, we've seen quite a decent bounce in the equity markets this week, particularly relative to the US. I know the US stock market has has smashed all comers over the last decade. I mean, looking at five-year annualised returns, the US has managed about 10% a year in dollars, whereas European stocks have only delivered you know, roughly 2% a year. As an aside, the UK total return over this period is actually minus 2% a year. Perhaps another reminder to always explore the globe for investments rather than be focused purely on on the local area. But my question anyway is, are we starting to see a major catch up for European equities? Well, yeah, I mean, I totally agree, obviously, with your point about diversification. It's a really nice, those statistics really nicely illustrate um, the need to be uh, as widely spread as possible. I mean, it is interesting because just like other areas of life, you know, markets can be prone to fads and fashions. And for the last decade uh, in particular, certain types of companies and sectors have been all the rage, uh, mostly for pretty good reasons, you know, to be honest. You know, these are companies and sectors that, you know, have adapted to do well in the current environment and, you know, They have attributes that investors prize highly at the moment. However, as an industry, in an industry that can often fixate too much on recent trends in um, in performance, you often find that such fads can lead to a disconnect with fundamental reality. Uh, You know, the same is true actually for the other side of the equation. So those companies, you know, uh, regions and sectors uh, that are out of fashion, perhaps initially for good reason they can fall further out of favour uh, than, than their fundamental merits may you know, may argue for. Now, European stocks uh, is perhaps an example of the latter. Some investors um, have clearly recently been taking another look at Europe in, uh, in the context of those positive developments on you know, burden sharing, uh, and they're seeing something to like, or at least, at least dislike a bit less. But I think the point is that there is now a reasonably plausible path ahead where the world economy, you know, recovers a bit, uh, you know, a lot of the lost ground quite quickly uh, over the course of the second half of the year. And it is far from the only path ahead, of course, as we've warned before, but it is a bit more believable than it was a couple of months ago. Uh, And that is freeing investors' arms a little bit to have a look at some of the less obvious opportunities out there um, at the expense, actually, of some of those areas that are already very popular. Uh, So from US stocks to the US dollar. Uh, We'll see how long it lasts. But and again, uh, you know, as we've said many times before, uh, this is the the lesson here is really about don't just back the winners of the last few years. Investing is really about casting your net a bit wider than that, because uh, the winners don't always uh, are, aren't always the winners forever. And you mentioned just now about not not within within our portfolios and funds wanting to lend too much to government, but but you've also suggested that stock markets are, are perhaps a bit giddy at the moment. We know that stocks are the driving force behind our, our medium risk sort of multi asset class diversified portfolios and funds. But does that mean, therefore, I should just hold off altogether? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is this is a really interesting question, Nikki, and it's certainly like how 
a lot of investors feel feel about things. You know, they feel that, that you know, if, if stocks look in a very short term, you know, very expensive, then that should sort of deter them from getting invested at all. And you should be on the sidelines. And, and I think here, the first point I'd make, I think, is that we should all start or should we, we should all start with the assumption that markets already incorporate most, if not all, of what we know, fear and hope. If there is an edge to be gleaned uh, from perfectly timing your entry into markets, it is likely not that large in the context of the rewards of being invested in a diversified pool of assets over a multi-year period in the first place. It is more likely, to be honest, that by pursuing the strategy that you'll actually uh, miss out on that perfect moment or by trying to find the perfect moment, uh, you'll end up uh, missing out uh, on, on broader returns. So... I think you are looking at, you know, that that story holds unless you are looking, um, you know, the, the story of get invested every day uh, with everything you have uh, is really holds true most days, to be honest, unless you're looking at the kinds of you know, levels of overvaluation that we saw at the peak of the tech bubble, uh, you know, back in 1999, which really did have an impact. You know, your starting point valuation really did have an impact uh, on your sort of 10 year expected returns. But like I say, the answer, if, if you're not in that situation, the answer today is always today is the best day to get invested. Uh, and the more days, hours, minutes that I am actually in the market, the more likely I am to scoop up all of those uh, unevenly scattered returns from, you know, that human ingenuity we always um, we always bang on about. Uh, and also remember that in our funds and portfolios, much like, you know, all of the, you know, many of our competition, to be honest, that short term giddiness in the stock market will be reflected uh, in, um, you know, in, in lighter holdings in, in the stock market. You know, so we are, um, you know, we own quite a bit less of the world's stock markets uh, than we did at, uh, at at the very end of March, for example. So, you know, remember that people are, you know, if you're buying a sort of packaged product like that, that people are already doing that, you know, reflecting those kind of um, those fears and uncertainties for you in a sense. And still the best day to get invested would be today. Sounds a bit yeah. self-serving, I know, but it's true as well well you mentioned competition so <laughs> so it's a broad church um but that but that actually gives a neat segue to to promote our our sister podcast which is word on the street personal finance where our experts from across both savings wealth planning and and other areas discuss some of the thorniest issues in the world of personal finance how to organize one's finances. So from how to start investing to how to identify and achieve your goals. So I think we could probably all do with a bit of that in truth. But I think, you know, we would we would definitely urge our listeners to 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 listen and also to recommend that to our friends and family, perhaps that are that are a bit less attuned day to day to markets and are, are perhaps thinking about um, learning or, or getting involved. If there's nothing more from you, Will, um, it leads me to say thank you. And I know, Will, you'll join me as well to wish every one of our valued, unique and individual listeners and subscribers well. And that goes especially for our Black colleagues, customers and listeners, many of whom we can only imagine are feeling immense pain and anger at the moment. I'd like to point you towards the letter that Barclays CEO Jez Staley sent to colleagues globally. You can find it on LinkedIn if you're interested. So we'll be back in a week, uh, focusing next time on actually the experience of entrepreneurs and, and business builders in amongst the economic and social impact of the coronavirus. So thank you very much and do join us then. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.